Welcome, and this is the Valley View Friends Church Sunday Morning Podcast. This is Pastor Josh, and I want to thank you for joining me today. I'm glad to share this time with you. At Valley View Friends Church, we are learning how to live as God's people, concerned with reaching and restoring hearts and homes with Jesus. If you want to learn more about our church, look us up on our website at valleyviewfriendschurch.org. I always want to encourage you to subscribe to the podcast. That way you can always get the next episode. Now let's turn our attention to this week's message. This week we're talking about the holiness of God. And so I want to start with a question for you to consider and think about. What are some of the most beautiful things that you have seen in your life? Things that took your breath away. Think about those for a moment. Get those in your mind. How would you describe those beautiful moments, those beautiful things to someone else? It can be quite challenging. I can remember the first time I saw the ocean. I heard its roar. I could feel the wind blowing off those waters. I could see its rolling waves and the surges. I can remember nights at summer camp as a Boy Scout looking up into the night sky that was darker than dark and yet full, fuller of stars than I could possibly imagine. Even one summer, I I remember it was so clear, you could see the bands of the Milky Way stretching across the sky. And then I remember the first time I saw my son, Seth. He was born just a few minutes earlier, a few moments earlier. And I remember hearing his cry. (laughs) Most beautiful sound ever. And later, I remember standing in the nursery after he had been cleaned up. And reaching down with my finger, new dad, not quite sure what to do. And his little hand reached up and his fingers wrapped around my index finger. It was a connection that we've kept ever since. Those beautiful moments. I can describe them to you. Hopefully you can hear some of the emotion in that. But the words that I use, the expression I use in my voice, in my voice, just cannot do justice to the experience. These are moments that are bigger than a photo can capture, and and they're stronger than a memory can recall. As I look back to those sorts of memories, um, some of the most important ones are when I sensed the power of creation. When I realized, uh, you know, on those nights in the summer camp, seeing the stars in the sky, I realized how small I was. Or, you know, actually, not a moment of creation. Well, it is a moment of creation when Seth was born. And I realized my significance. Here's this boy that I am now responsible for. Those are the moments that are just beyond description. They're so powerful. And, you know, talking about the holiness of God is a little like that. When you and I try to comprehend the holiness of God. It's like trying to share one of those memories I was just trying to describe. I, I can tell the story. I can describe the magnificence with some words. But there's a real limit to how much I can describe. And there's a real limit to how much I can describe the holiness of God. But that doesn't mean that I'm not going to try and we shouldn't try and that we shouldn't try to seek the holy presence of God. You and I were designed to stand in that holy presence. Adam and Eve, they walked with God in the Garden of of Eden. And God's plan for you is that you would walk in heaven with Him. We are made to walk in the holy presence of God. And you will find the most satisfaction in life when you seek the presence of God and when you find it. 
As I mentioned last week, this year, the theme in our worship services at Valley View is a one-word theme, holy. Holiness is who God is, and holiness is what God asks of us. And whatever season we find ourselves this year in our worship services, whatever topic we address, it's going to have in it the perspective of holiness. So, whether we talk about grief or forgiveness or racism or whatever topic, Every topic that God leads us in, it will be informed by God's holiness and by His call for His people to be holy. I want to challenge you, and I did it last week, I'm going to do it again. You're going to hear it a couple times this year. I want you to think of the word holy in three dimensions this year. And the first dimension is going to be about encountering a holy God. The second dimension is that we as Christians are to become holy. And the third dimension is kind of that outreach angle. That is that we are to help others see the holiness of God all around them. And so today I want us to take a few minutes and try to get our minds around the holiness of God and encountering that holiness. And again, like I said, this is beyond our comprehension in a lot of ways. How do you describe the holiness of God? It's in some ways very impossible It's like describing those most beautiful moments of life, but the Bible has a lot to say about the holiness of God. And so, as we encounter what the Bible has to say about the holiness of God, we we need to respond in this way. We need to grow in our response to God, and we'll talk about what that means. We need to grow in our awareness of our sin, and we need to grow in our hunger for the holiness of God. So, when we encounter parts of the Bible that describe God as holy— We're going to change or grow in our response to Him. We're going to become aware of our sin and our need for Him. And we're going to grow in our hunger for Him and His holiness. I want to begin just with this simple idea. The holiness of God in Scripture tells us a lot about God Himself. And there are two qualities that we are told the most about when we're told that God is holy. And the first one is this, that God is is unique. The holiness of God means that He is unique. He is different. He is completely other from everything else in our world. I want to read you a couple of words from a prayer that Hannah, a lady in the Bible, prays to the Lord. You find it in 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 2, and Hannah prays this, and she says, There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. As Hannah sought God in prayer, she recognized that he was holy, and she knew that there was no one else in heaven or on earth like him. There was no one else that could answer her prayers. She recognized God's holiness, but she also recognized his uniqueness. Last week, I mentioned the words found in the Bible that we translate into the English word holy. In the Greek, the language is the word hagios, and that means to be different, to be unlike others, to be set apart. In the Old Testament, we encounter the word kadosh, which means separateness, to be set apart. Kadosh also means heavy, that is to be very real, to be so real that you have substance and weight to you. Yes, the Bible says that God is heavy. He's a heavy topic, meaning God is deep to think about. And yes, heavy, meaning God weighs a lot. I don't know how much God weighs. Who knows how much he weighs? But the meaning of the word is that he has substance to him. He is realer than reality. 
and both are accurate to say that he's deep and that he's of substance. As Kadosh attempts to describe the realness of God, it also tries to describe the importance of God. And so that's why it's saying, yes, he's real, he has weight to him, and yes, he is deep, he's important. God is holy, he is real, he's realer than real. Reality comes from him itself. God is holy, he is deep, he's of importance. There is no other critical person, no other more critical person in existence than God. He is Kadosh, holy. And so he's unique. He's realer than real. He's the originator of reality, and he's the most important being in all the universe. That's one element of Kadosh. The other is that, well, he's separate. He's other. And for our part, this idea is of being reserved for a specific purpose. When we talk about being holy, we mean that we are going to reserve ourselves for a specific purpose. But holiness for God is a little bit different. So often when we think of holiness, a lot of people think of it like a child thinks of their dinner plate. You know, I don't know if you've ever met that child. I I was one of them where all the stuff went on the plate and it could never touch. The corn could never touch the mashed potatoes and the roast beef couldn't touch the other things. And dare not let the gravy spill onto the Everything had to be separate. That was how I saw it as a kid. And often people can reduce holiness to an isolation from stuff and behaviors. Don't do the bad things. And yes, holiness is obedience. Holiness is doing what is good and right and godly and not doing what is sinful. But if we reduce it down to isolation, we're only catching the smallest bit of holiness. Yes, holiness means being set apart. But in God's case, his very nature sets him apart. And we would each do well to regain a knowledge of God and his uniqueness. Exodus chapter 15 verse 11 says, Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? God's holiness tells us that God is unique. But it also tells us, and here's the second part of what holiness tells us about God, that he is good and pure. From the prophet Habakkuk, chapter 1, verse 13, you read these lines, Your eyes, O Lord, are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up the more righteous than than themselves? What we're being told in Habakkuk, though, is about the holiness of God, that it makes him good and pure. Well, and as we see again, separate. He does not. He is too pure to look on evil, as it says. The holiness of God, that he's unique, that he is set apart, tells us of God's purity and his goodness. Wayne Grudem, theologian, describes the holiness of God in regards to an idea of separateness. And first, he remarks about the relational aspect of separateness. And so, he writes about how our sin separates us from God. Thank goodness that Jesus has overcome our sin and has forged a new connection, reconnected us to the holy presence of God. But Grudem also describes a different aspect of that separate set-apartness of God, that separateness of him. 
that God is morally set apart from us. That is to say, God is completely untouched by sin. Sin cannot exist in his presence. And that his presence is so good, so moral. In fact, in the Bible, when you read some stories, we're going to get to them here, you find that God's presence is so good and so moral that it's dangerous for us to be in his presence. There's a story here from Exodus chapter 19, verses 16 through 24, about Moses and the people of Israel encountering God, and it reads like this. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning, with a thick cloud over the mountain, with a very and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. The Lord descended to the top of Mount Sinai and called to Moses to the and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses went up, and the Lord said to him, Go down and warn the people so they do not force their way through to see the Lord, and many of them perish. Even the priests who approach the Lord must consecrate themselves, for the Lord will break out against them. So the Lord, so Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come out, cannot come up Mount Sinai because you warned, you yourself warned us, put limits around the mountain and set it apart as holy. And the Lord replied, go down and bring up Aaron with you, but the priests and the people must not force their way up to the mountain or he will break out against them. So God is good. God is pure beyond our comprehension. And our sin makes us incompatible with him without the help of Jesus, even to the point in the Bible where we are warned, and we'll read another passage where we are warned that those who enter his presence are in danger because he is so good and we are sinful. And now as we read about the holiness of God, we understand his power, his majesty, his awe, then we're asked to respond. And there's three ways that I believe we are asked to respond to God. And the first is with awe, that is reverence, and as Millard Erickson writes, with silence. From Exodus chapter 3, we read these words, chapter 3, verses 2 through 5. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him, meaning Moses, it's a story you know, but the burning bush. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I'll go up over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. Then the Lord saw that he had gone over to look. And God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you stand is holy ground. So Moses, upon encountering the holy presence of God, had to change his response, change his approach, and that was to show reverence. Now, the ways we show reverence, they're going to change. No one came into church today, uh, or at least most people don't go to church barefoot. And uh, a suit and tie would be out of place in ancient Israel, and then actually I'd be kind of out of place in our congregation today. So the things we do change. 
The attitude of the heart, though, is what matters. The Lord got Moses' attention. Take off your sandals. You're on holy ground. Show reverence. Show respect. Show awe. God is concerned with the attitude of the heart, and Moses was asked to respond in his heart with his shoes. So, as we get to know God, as we get to encounter Him, we need to be a people who are full of awe and reverence. You know, silence is another response found in the Bible. It's not silence for its own sake, but silence born out of reverence. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 1 and 2 says this, Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know that they do wrong. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. So the response physically is with Restraint of the mouth, silence, let's say. But then inwardly, he says, don't be hasty with your heart. It's the position of your heart, and it will have an outward manifestation. For Moses, in that moment at the burning bush, it was to obey God. Do what he asked. Take off your sandals. But his heart had to be in the right place to do it. And so when we get to know God, we're going to respond with awe and reverence, maybe some silence. But that's going to reflect a transformation in our heart with some outward expression. The second thing that happens as we get to see the holiness of God is that we need to respond by an awareness of our sin. The goodness and purity of God shows us that we are not to measure ourselves or others against anything or anyone aside from God. See, humanity has this habit of saying, oh, we're not all that bad because we look at each other. We look at our own lives and we go, you know, I'm doing better than I used to. I'm not as bad as the guy down the street. I don't do awful things like so-and-so. We compare to other standards. But that's a problem because there's only one standard we should be comparing ourselves against. The holy presence of God. And when we sense the holy presence of God, when we encounter it, when we realize it, we will realize our sin and the danger we are in. And Isaiah chapter 6, there's a classic passage about the holy presence of God and Isaiah's response. I want you to hear the words. Isaiah 6, beginning in verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Those words there, it's kadosh, kadosh, kadosh. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Now listen to Isaiah's response. He didn't just go, hey, this is amazing. His response is verse 5, woe to me. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Isaiah's response to the holiness of God is that he becomes keenly aware of his sin. 
The text continues with the solution to Isaiah's sin. It says, Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. Peter, when he encounters Jesus and realizes who Jesus is, and there's a few moments when he begins to understand who Jesus is, Peter has a similar response to Isaiah. In Luke chapter 5, verse 8, we read these words, When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. He realized the majesty and power and the lordship of Jesus and knew his sin all the more clearly. Unfortunately, as I've already mentioned, the Lord provided a solution to our sin in Jesus. I want to read to you Romans chapter 6, verses 22 through 23. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. So there's that word holy again. We'll probably dig into that one next week as we talk about us growing in holiness. It says the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The last response to the holiness of God is this. When we see his holiness, we should hunger for his holiness, for more of the holiness of God. Exodus chapter 33, verses 17 through 23, there's a discussion between the Lord and Moses, and we read these words. And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked, because I am pleased with you, and I know you by name. And then Moses said, show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I'll have compassion. But you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, There is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I'll put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I've passed by. And then I'll remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. Well, that's part of the story about uh, the holy presence of God being so powerful that it's dangerous for us because of our sinfulness. And yet, as Moses got to know the Lord, he hungered for more of the holiness of God. And that should be the true for me and you. In Exodus 24, there's another little story. I think it gets overlooked by some of these bigger ones. It's uh, Exodus 24, verses 9 through 11. Moses and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and the 70 elders of Israel went up and they saw the God of Israel. Under his feet was something like a pavement made of lapis lazuli, as bright blue as the sky. But God did not raise his hand against these leaders of the Israelites. They saw God and they ate and drank. Wow, they got to see God and he did not strike them. He welcomed them. They saw him and they hungered for his presence. They enjoyed it. They even ate and drank in his presence. Both of these scenes of Moses and God and the Israelites and God, the elders, 
describe God revealing his presence to Israel. And in Moses' case, we can hear the hunger. He cries out, now show me your glory. In the second passage, I would contend there's this intense satisfaction among those 70 elders of Israel. They have encountered the holy presence of God. They eat and they drink. It's, it's a party. Though our sin separates us from God, God wants us to know him and enjoy his presence. He wants us to hunger for more and more of him. Isaiah 57 verse 1 says this, For this is what the high and exalted one says, He who lives forever, whose name is holy, I live in a high and holy place. But also the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit, but also, let me reread that, I live in a high and holy place, but also with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. God says, I live in high and wonderful places, holy places, but I also live in the low places with those who hunger for me. One final passage of scripture. I know I've read a lot of them today. I think scripture is the best way to encounter the holiness of God. And it's one of my favorite passages of scripture because it's where we as Christians are headed into the holy presence of God. And we will be able to live in his revealed presence and see clearly the holiness of God. And it'll be a time of rejoicing and worship. It's from the book of Revelation, chapter 4, verses 6 through 11. Also, in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center, around the throne, there were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne, and they worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. We get to encounter the holy presence of God in heaven for eternity. It's going to be amazing. Far greater than what these words can convey. Let's pray. This is a prayer from Benedict of Nursia. I think it's good for us today. Gracious and holy Father, please give us the intellect to understand you, reason to discern you, diligence to seek you, wisdom to find you, and a spirit to know you, and a heart to meditate upon you, ears to hear you, eyes to see you, a tongue to proclaim you, and a way of life pleasing to you, patience to wait for you, and perseverance to look for you. Grant us a perfect end, your holy presence a blessed resurrection, and life everlasting. Amen. Go with Jesus.